Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, familiar passage at this time of year. We're going to be looking at the latter half of the passage, maybe. Um, So Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21. I think I'll read a section here, and then we'll take a look at that, and then move on down through the passage. So it says, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And you can see that earlier in the passage. Um, it says that his name is to be called Jesus. And, and so this was after eight days. He was uh, circumcised and given a name. That's how it was often done there. It's interesting. God's plan was moving forward here. And a lot of people maybe didn't realize it. Some people were waiting for it, as we'll see in this passage. But life was going on as normal. And then here comes this little baby into the world. And God's plan is, is moving forward And I suspect that's how it will be, and the scripture would bear it out at the second coming of the Lord. Life will be going along, and things will be happening, but God's plan will be on time and will be fulfilled as given. And that's what would happen here. And so, by his actual birth, he would have been born uh, into the lineage of Abraham and of David. But it was really through that rite of circumcision that they became a, a true part of the nation of Israel. That, was, that had to happen to really be a part. And then usually at that time, they would give them a name. I would like for you to turn back to Numbers chapter 13. And we'll be coming back to Luke, so you might want to keep your finger there. But Numbers chapter 13... His name is to be called Jesus, or Yahshua, or Joshua. And I suppose at this time there were probably a lot of babies being born with that name. Just like today, if you would be born with the name David, or John, or something like that, um, pretty common name. A lot of them around. If you're born with the name Terrell, that's a little different. Not as many of us. But uh, Joshua was probably a very common name at that time. And so what made that different? Well, it's not that it's necessarily different. But the meaning behind it, I do believe, is important. And so if you go to Exodus chapter 13, um, or I'm sorry, um, Numbers chapter 13, and verse 16 it says, These are the names of the men which Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Oshia, the son of Nun, Jehoshua, or Joshua. He changed his name here. His original name there basically meant salvation. But then Moses comes along and he takes, in a sense, part of the name Yahweh, or Jehovah, And combines it with his name, and now his name meant the Lord is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation, Jehovah is salvation. You see why Jesus was named Jesus? 
They would have understood that. The Lord is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And so he, he got that name because that's what it meant. And it was important that he had that name. And so even though there were maybe other boys around by that name, it was important that he was named Jesus. And of course, we know him often as Jesus Christ, Jesus, uh, the anointed one or the Messiah, the one that they were waiting on. Well, the passage goes on and it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to the Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Well, let's go back to the Old Testament again and notice some things there. Now, when he was circumcised, go to Exodus to start with. Uh, When he was circumcised... That would have been after eight days. This was now after he was 40 days old. So sometimes you read this passage and it looks like, oh, they took him to the temple and he was circumcised and he was dedicated and it was all said and done in eight days. No, this would have been 40 days after he was born that they would have come and had this dedication at the temple. So in Exodus chapter 13... Verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And then down in verse 12, That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that open the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. Now, turn over to Leviticus chapter 12 and there is a reference this references back often to when um, God called the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and all the firstborn remember were killed of those Egyptians that didn't have or anyone that didn't have the blood over their doorpost So in Leviticus chapter 12, and we'll just read the whole chapter. It's eight verses long. We're just going to read that. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man-child, then she shall be unclean seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity shall she be unclean. In the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, and she shall then continue in in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. But if she bear a maid child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, and in her separation she shall continue in the blood of her purifying threescore and six days. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for her and she shall be cleansed from her issue of blood. This is the law of for her that hath borne a male or a female. Now notice something in verse 8 here that takes us back to Luke. 
And if she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or turtle doves or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. So it would basically show that Joseph and Mary didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have the means to buy a lamb. They didn't have a lamb they could bring. And so they had the, the two birds that they brought. And sometimes there's a question. When did the wise men show up? Where was this connected? Well, if they would have been given gold and frankincense and myrrh, they probably would have bought a lamb. So probably at this point, the wise men had not been there yet. I'm not sure how that fits into the story this evening, but just so you know. Um, anyway, that, that's just a little clue to, to that, that they were not people of wealth. They were poor people. Now, turn over to Numbers chapter 3. Interesting passage here. And we're going to look at verse, starting at verse 10. This is the, the duty of the Levites. In Numbers chapter 3, verse 10, it says, And thou shalt appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall wait on their priest's office. And the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And I, behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of all the firstborn that openeth the matrix among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. For on the day that I smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I hallowed unto me all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. Mine shall they be, I am the Lord. But notice in verse 12, it says, I taken the Levites instead of the others. Interesting. Was Jesus of the tribe of Levi? Then why did his parents take him and dedicate him as a priest, basically, as a chosen one, one set apart? Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 10, it says, and I'm kind of breaking into a long thing in here on Melchizedek, but for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of the carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. 
For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God, and inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. Do you think this just happened? Or was God working a plan? He was definitely dedicated to God, set apart, set aside as the firstborn male, but also making him uh, possible to be a priest. And God was king, priest, and prophet, all those of the Old Testament. Well, let's go on here. We see here then, in a sense, the Old Covenant uh, meeting the New Covenant. We see the Old being fulfilled in what they did at the temple and so forth, and yet it was ushering in and bringing in a New Covenant that is better, a better things, a better hope, not of a law of commandments in the Old Testament, but of Jesus Christ. And I really appreciated the devotional this morning, how it ties into this. And you'll see that a little bit more as we go along in the message. But uh, the old was one thing, and the new is what we have today that we can be so thankful for. And it comes through Jesus Christ. Now, let's continue to read. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. By the way, how do you picture Simeon? An old, old man there in the temple? It doesn't tell us how old he is, just so you know. It tells us how old Anna was, or gives us a good idea. Never says he was old. I think we think he was old because he said, okay, I'm ready to die now. I've seen God's glory, but maybe he was only 40 years old. I don't know. Anyway, here's Simeon. He's in the temple. But notice some important things about him. It says, um, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was a just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now that consolation of Israel, we're going to come back to that and talk about that in a, a little bit later. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. And by the way, in case you think the Holy Spirit was something completely new to the New Testament, it's not. You'll see the Holy Spirit being working in the Old Testament and even working here. Uh, but yet, after Pentecost, it, was di- it is different. He comes, he lives within us, and he's our comforter and Appreciating uh, what Gary's teaching us about the Holy Spirit. It says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and a sword shall pierce thine own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We're going to stop there for just a moment. A light to lighten the Gentiles. Most of us here this morning, if not all of us, are Gentiles. Oh, way back we might have some seed of Abraham in us somewhere, but we're, we're known as Gentiles. 
And here he prophesies. Here is Jesus, a light to lighten the Gentiles. I, don't, I wonder if they grasped that or if in their minds they were thinking, okay, well, when Israel becomes great, the Gentiles will see that and that's what it will be. And, and that was how they viewed it. I don't know. But I know one thing, it was much greater than that. Jesus is the light. And in him is no darkness at all. And if we, if we want light in our lives, it has to come through Jesus Christ. He also says he's the glory of Israel. The glory of Israel. And although Israel is a nation today, and many of the Jews do not recognize their glory, their glory still is in Jesus Christ. And, and it will be interesting as... And, and you can see that through prophecy, how that's going to come about later. But he was the, the glory. And then it says that in verse 34, that this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And it's interesting, the Bible calls Jesus the rock of salvation. He is that rock. He's that cornerstone. He's also a rock of offense. There are those who stumble, those who trip up. I don't know if you've thought about it, but I'm sure you have. But in our culture today, who is the one religious founder, if you will, if I can even say it that way, that will get people stirred up either on one side or the other? Oh, it's not Muhammad. I might stir some people up. But a lot of people, oh, well, whatever, Buddha, whatever, go down your list. But you bring Jesus Christ into the conversation, and people are going to be on one side or the other. He is either for the rising or the falling of anyone. It talks about the fact that many hearts will be revealed. You know, Paul said that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by that man. And he was talking about Jesus Christ. He will be the revealer of the hearts of everyone. It's amazing the prophecies that he spoke here that probably they didn't understand. And probably Mary didn't understand that a sword would pierce through her own soul also. I wonder if when she was standing at the cross, or at least when she reflected back on that experience after the resurrection, if she thought back about what was shared here and what she went through, and if she thought about, yes, he was right, he was right, that's exactly what was going to happen. Well, as we go on, it says, And there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. What a, what a woman of God. Even in her elderly years, she was still there, and she was looking for something. And it says, and she coming in that instant, so she must have come in and, and heard what was being said. And so there's, there's a little clue about where this probably happened. It either happened in the court of the Gentiles or in the court of where the women could be. It didn't happen in where only the men could go for their dedications and so forth. Because she was there and she heard what was shared. 
And she said she came in that instant and likewise uh, and gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. There were people in Jerusalem looking for redemption. In Malachi it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So there was in Jerusalem and in the temple, there were those who, I believe, talked to each other. When's the redemption of Israel coming? How's it going to look? When are we going to be redeemed from all these things that we're under and all of this stuff? When's that coming? When's it going to happen? And I wonder if the believers today that are really excited about Jesus Christ speak sometimes and say, when do you think the Lord's coming back? When, you know, the Bible says, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. As we see these things, do we ever talk to each other and say, when do you think, the boy, wouldn't it be great if the Lord would come? When do you think the Lord's coming back? Do you think it could be today? you think it could be this week? you think I should even bother taking my truck to Hoover Automotive to get fixed? Because maybe the Lord will come this week. We'll just forget it. Now, don't, don't take that too serious. We'll all be out of work. But you know what I mean? It's just like, but we're so focused on this life. There were many that were going about the streets of Jerusalem, I believe, that never, never thought about it. Oh, they probably were thinking about how can we raise somebody up and, and take over ruling and get these Romans out of here. And When's the Messiah coming? But redemption, redemption for Israel. Well, there's two things I'd like to focus on here in this, and that is when Simeon said he was looking for the consolation of Israel, and here it says they were looking for the redemption in Jerusalem or in Israel. Why did they need to be consoled? Why did they need redemption? Well, think about their history a little bit. They had been slaves in Egypt. They had been oppressed by their enemies at different times. They had went through periods when they had turned their back on God and God had to judge them. They had a few good kings. They had a lot of bad kings. Bad leaders. They were exiled from their land. They had internal strife and ended up being divided and fought within themselves. They were under Roman rule and oppression at this time. I would say they needed some consolation. They needed to be consoled. They needed to be helped. That word has a lot to do with comfort. I wrote down the definition of that. It says consoled means to be to alleviate the grief, sense of loss or trouble. And then it says comfort. That's why I thought the devotions this morning went along with that. So, well, to comfort. And I know I had a message on comfort here sometime back, but they needed comfort. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. And incidentally, 
I suspect if you go to Israel today and the situation there now today, there are probably many who are looking for comfort and redemption for the nation of Israel. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And it, you can just continue to read that. I'm not going to go on down for any further. They were looking for that comfort. Comfort, comfort ye. Now if you look in Luke chapter 4, let's go back to Luke, just a page probably over in your Bible from where we're at. And Jesus goes into the synagogue And in verse 17, it says, There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That was Jesus. That is Jesus. He still cares about the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Turn over to 2 Corinthians, a passage that is interesting how many times it uses the word comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now notice here, now it shifts over to Christ here. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our consolation, or our comfort, also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation. They were looking for the consolation of Israel. God is the God of all comfort, the God of consolation, the God of caring. Now, as we think about the fact of redemption, redemption means ransom or deliverance, especially from sin. 
And so this morning, my question for you is this, and it's for me as well. They were looking for the consolation and the redemption of Israel. But what about you? I talked about Israel having been enslaved and all the things they went through. Are you enslaved this morning? Are you enslaved to sin or maybe bitterness, anger? Maybe it's discouragement. You can't break free from it. Pride, strife. You can go on and on, whatever it may be that has you enslaved to where you're not free. You're not free in Christ because these things continue to bog you down. You can't get rid of them. Well, when Simeon met Jesus there, he took him in his arms and embraced him, if you will, and said, here is the hope. Right here is the hope. Here in this child is that hope and consolation and redemption. And so I guess my question is to you, have you looked? And right there is the answer. It's before all of us. Our consolation and our redemption is right there. But have you embraced him in that way? Have you embraced Christ as your consolation and your redemption? Have you blessed God? It says that he blessed. Simeon says he blessed God for Jesus. Took him in his arms and he blessed God. When was the last time you praised God for his son? Well, redemption and consolation work together. You're never going to be, shall I say, consoled. You're never going to be comforted, truly comforted, set free outside of redemption. You're in Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 24. Maybe you're still in doubt. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you're not sure. I hope that's not the case. But maybe you're having doubt of whether or not he is your comfort and he is your redemption. There were other people that had that question too. After the crucifixion and uh, when they were on the road to Emmaus, they were talking. And it says in verse 21, it says, But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. They had trusted. They had believed. Here is the one to redeem Israel. This is the one. And maybe in your life, you following Jesus and You thought, here's the one to redeem me from my troubles, my problems, whatever it might be. Well, it's interesting in 2 Corinthians there where it's talking about the God of comfort, the God of consolation, your consolation, your comfort. It doesn't say that if you accept Christ as your redeemer, 
that then there's no problems in life. It actually says through your sufferings, through Christ's sufferings, he is able to console us. Through our sufferings, we're able to console others and to comfort others. It's not outside of our sufferings that we learn to be comforted. It's in our sufferings and in those hard times and in those things. But comfort looks completely different once we are redeemed and ransomed. And we are following Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we understand that our faith is in him. And we are saved. Then we can be comforted in whatever comes into our lives. Whatever those things might be. God does not say that redemption removes all our problems. But we can have peace through Jesus Christ and comfort in those times. And so this morning, I would like to just say that Jesus Christ, when you, when you look and think about him coming as a baby, and what we read there in Luke, remember, he came as our redeemer and our comfort. And that's what he wants to do. Whatever we go through in life, he wants to be our redeemer and our consolation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you this morning that you came as a baby, that you were dedicated and you became a priest after the order of Melchizedek so that we can have a better, better life than living under the law of Moses. Thank you for redemption through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the comfort and consolation that you give us in this life that you will comfort us throughout all eternity when you wipe away all tears from our eyes and there you will be with us forever and we will be with you. Help us to not forget that during this time and this season. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.